0: Well, I want to welcome those joining us online and those of you here at our Spring Lake campus. We're in the third week of a series that we've titled A New Kind of Family, looking at one of the earliest letters to the church. And I'll have you pray in just a minute as we open the scriptures together. Uh, I am curious, I don't know if you're, you're like this. I was with a group of people from different parts of the country last week and uh, I had like four different layers on and they looked at me like I was strange. I'm like, dude, I'm from Michigan. Like, do you ever have this where you go, I have different coats for different Temper- temperatures. Like, I've got a 30 to 40 degrees coat, a 40 to 50. I've got sweatshirts. Like, it's just pathetic, isn't it? So I just wanted you to commiserate that with me before we prayed. That's why I told you. Because I went, I was warm this morning. And I went outside and It's like, it is still cold. This is not right. Okay, back to prayer. So before we open the scriptures, we always invite you to pray. And it's really this premise is the reason we think God wants to reveal himself to you. We don't think it's that I can persuade you or give you information, but we think the very presence, the life of God breathes life and hope into you. And so we simply wanna invite you to pray in the quiet, whether you would claim to be a follower of Jesus or whether you're searching or in doubt, we just want you to be honest with God. Hey, I have questions. I wonder, God, I need you. Whatever it is, you pray in the quiet and then let me pray for us together. thank you that I thank you that you run after us in our most difficult places and spots of who we are I thank you that you are the initiator of pursuit and you are the one who wants to know us Lord I'm simply asking that you'd speak to each one today as they need you whether with doubt whether with skepticism whether walking with you whether kind of struggling or flourishing that you'd speak Lord, I ask that anything I have to say that's not from you, it will fall to the ground and it will be forgotten. But I am asking, Lord, that anything that's from you, that your spirit, your very presence, would breathe life into us and help transform and grow us as followers of you and people who bring about your kingdom. Lord, I join with the psalmist praying the words I speak and the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said... Amen. So I don't know if you think much about this, and again, whether you've been exposed to the scripture a lot or even know who Jesus is, Jesus said some things that are wonderful and they sound great, but they're really hard to comprehend and I would say even harder to buy. You know, So for example, Jesus said things like love your enemies. Now, if you're anything like me, you go, I will love my enemies to a point. But there has to be a point where you go, this one just, I shouldn't have to deal with this, should I? I mean, shouldn't there be a, could maybe Jesus be giving a little hyperbole in this? Or or another one that Jesus says, if you want to lead, you actually have to serve all. Like you're doing the opposite of this. In fact, even as I share just a few of these things, I don't know if you have this in your family culture, but in mine, we have words or phrases that we've kind of grown up with because Different people, different kids said them at different phases. And early in our family life, one of my children, when there was something overstated, he would yell exaggeration and point at you, exaggeration, exaggeration. And sometimes I hear these words of Jesus and I think, I mean, could it be it's hyperbole? Like love your enemies? Isn't that, take it even further, he says things like, take up your cross daily and follow me, which is literally a claim to suffer, which we go, that's a great idea But let me take you to one of them that he says that probably more than anything grabs uh, both my attention, my struggle, and my kind of excitement. So Jesus is with his disciples. It's really very soon before he's going to go and die. He knows this, and he gives this whole kind of conversation about how they need to remain in him. They talk, talk about abiding in me, being close to me. And then he says this at the end of it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, now you realize what that's saying, don't you? What he's saying is that anything you do, if it's not connected to him, doesn't amount to anything. Now, we're reasonable people. We would go, well, listen, I can accomplish a lot without God. God. Now, I'm not trying to dismiss this at all. I'm wanting us to wrestle with it a little bit because Jesus is making a strong statement that apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, after he makes this, he then tells him one big point. Guess what? I'm gonna give you my spirit. We call it the Holy Spirit. He's gonna live in you and guide you into all that you need. In other words, my very presence will be in you. So I regularly ask this. Do you know, as followers of Jesus, and if you're not, don't feel like you have to respond, but if you are, where does the spirit of God live? You know, you are about as enthusiastic about it as they were at nine. Where does the Spirit of God live? Now you just sound like you're trying. I just want you to consider this for a minute. Where does the Spirit of God live? in us, every one of us. No one's favored over it, no one's brought down over it. God's telling us that his very presence can live in every one of us, meaning he wants to be close to us. So when he says, apart from me you can do nothing, he's talking about this unique connection we're to have with his very presence in life and to help us. That's why he says what he does, and we're gonna look more at this. I just want you to consider it and keep thinking about this fact as we look through this wonderful letter that Paul writes what Jesus said earlier, which is apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, you need me for everything. And I'm going to give you my, my presence, my spirit. Now, where we've been in this series, we called it a new kind of family, really because that's what Jesus said, not because we decided it. But when Jesus is coming on the earth, when he lives and dies and rises again, he says, I'm going to use all of you, you're going to be my new kind of family in a new way that won't be able to do things on their own. You'll do everything led by my spirit to live in a new way and it will change the world. And indeed, that's what began to happen. In fact, we find in Jerusalem it begins to change where Jesus rises with these people that are Jews, but ultimately a man named Paul starts to go to the rest of the world and actually goes through a place called Galatia. That's where we're in, the study of Galatians, and begins to help them discover this resurrection of Jesus. And they begin to live and walk by the very presence of God, the Spirit. And in fact, the church blows up and grows all through Asia Minor. It's something that's inexplainable, how the church just has this huge influence on all of Roman culture, yet it shouldn't, other than the fact that something beautiful happens. Now, having said that, and all that we look at, when Paul gets away from these people in Galatia, there starts to be a problem, and they start to have trouble with how they're living this thing out. So, Paul writes a letter to kind of course correct. And we already had in the first two weeks. In the first week, Thad looked at this fact that Paul writes and says, Listen, you guys have perverted the gospel. You've confused what it means that Jesus rose. And he gave us this really wonderful idea. He said, You know, it's not Jesus plus, it's very simply this that we follow Jesus, we don't follow rules. That's who we are, we follow who he is, we're followers of him. And then last week, Evan beautifully continued to have us look at this wonderful idea of what it means to have faith, and talked very specifically even about his own daughter and how he's kind of been inspired by that to step out like a child. Well, we're getting to week three now, we're moving into the letter further, and I'm just going to tell you before we get there, Paul is not an emotionally sensitive person, and he definitely has a low EQ in terms of, he's not worried that, oh, should I say this, I don't want to upset anybody, like he is going to say this as strongly as he wants to. So for those of you who are drivers, who love to say it like it is, you're going to love it. For those of you who have high emotional bandwidth and intelligence, you're going to think, Paul is just mean, I don't like Paul, and I'm sorry, but I don't care. No, I do care, but only because other people have made me. So this is what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, he's going to use the word foolish twice, and believe me, this is not a kind word. When he's talking about being foolish, he's basically saying, you idiots. I mean, come on. And this is the only time he ever uses the word bewitched in the entire, all of his writings. We don't see it anywhere else in the New Testament, meaning in all the, all the writings about Jesus and all the letters to the church and all that happens. Only time it's used, Now, bewitched can have multiple meanings. It actually can be kind of this idea of being taken in and kind of uh, almost like you're under a, a spell or a trance, that you're overwhelmed. Whether it's metaphoric or whether it's literal, he's basically saying you people have become enamored from someone, some messaging you're hearing that's grabbing your attention, and it's pulling you away from who Jesus is and all that you first understood. That's what he's basically saying, he's cautioning. Now, the reason I wanna stop and make sure we know that is it's really easy for us to think we've got it all together and we get it. I mean, aren't we reasonable people? Aren't we well-educated and we follow Jesus and we understand it? And if we don't get the idea that maybe when we read a letter like this, we ought to take it as, man, am I missing something? Maybe I need a course correction maybe I need to consider, is there someone else grabbing my attention, something that's turning me in a different direction away from Jesus? And that's what we're gonna look at as Paul continues in this letter. He clarifies it very specifically for Galatia, and he says, listen, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now just to give you a little background, if you haven't been here so you understand it, that is very central to Paul's discussion because what has happened is in Galatia. And Galatia is a region, in case you don't know, in the south of Turkey. It's really low, the low part of it. Um, And in this region, they have people who've been Jewish, and then they basically call them Gentiles, which is kind of this ethnic amalgamation. Galatia is full of Gauls, is what they're called, the people there. (laughs) Which is so horrible. I'm going to tell you this just because I can't not. But um, in high school, I had four years of Latin. And uh, when we had these stupid little... uh, competitions, and they called them Romani contra Gallos, and it meant the Romans against the Gauls. And that's this people, the Gauls. And in case you don't know, this is the weirdest thing. I don't even know why, but I'm going to tell you because it's just weird. The Gauls fought naked. That's all I knew about them. What a strange thing to do. But that's all I remember from my four years of Latin. Now I remember some other things too. But the Gauls were this amalgamation of people that were somewhat ethnically at least a little more barbaric. Now, politically, they had great power. So there's this unique group that's coming together. They've all been discovering who Jesus is and moving in a different way. But those who are Jewish want them to add on to some things of being Jewish. And so Paul centers the early part of this letter around what he calls circumcision. Now, circumcision is a literal physical activity, but it's meant to represent being Jewish. In other words, it's meant to represent you follow the laws, the ways Jews are to live, in addition to following Jesus. So he's getting on them about this, and that's why he comes back to this, because if Jesus really died, as it said he did, and was crucified, it means that through his death, he put to death the need for the law, That's very simply what he's saying to them. That's why he does it. And then he goes on to talk more about this. Hey, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. And by the way, this is said with great sarcasm. I love Paul. Hey, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? In case you don't know, Paul is being very sarcastic here. Which way do you think you gain the spirit? Which, by the way, is central to who we are. Let me just stop for a minute. I asked it earlier, where does the spirit live? And you said, in us. So I want you to be honest. Is it possible we know the spirit lives in us, but we don't really know how to live in that oftentimes? Or how to actually discover and walk in that? Let me illustrate it for you this way. Some years ago, and this has happened many times, but in this particular case, it was a family in Texas. They lived in a small uh, house and had some land around them, and they struggled season after season, day after day, month after month, year after year to make ends meet. And they continued to try to work hard to do all that they could, but one day enough difficulty came along, they no longer could manage the estate, this area, and they had to sell it off just to survive. Soon after they moved, as others took it over, this other group began to drill into the ground and discovered beneath the surface was a rich oil field that brought richness and destiny beyond what anybody could imagine. And this family that had been there, it was right there and they had no idea. And they just lived without it. Now the reason I tell you that is because we can say the Spirit lives in us and we want the Spirit to move. But we need to be honest that maybe part of our shakeup today is do I really get this in my walking in it? That's what Paul had to say to this early church. Hey, guys, you're missing this. The Spirit is in you, but you somehow move back to this works of the law. You're living in a way God never intended. And then he goes on, are you so foolish, saying it again, after beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? I don't know what your Christian experience has been like, Like, I am willing to bet many of you and most of you have had experiences early on, at least in your Christian life, where you saw God move, where you saw that you began to ask him for help and he began to give it, that you prayed for things that you can't believe how God moved alongside, that maybe even miraculous things occurred and people got better and got healed and life moved on in ways you couldn't have done alone. And then after a little while, if you're like me, you start to go, well, I'm doing pretty well. I'll take it from here. That's what Paul's saying. And I wanna be really clear because this is what we're gonna wrestle with today and this will go right back to The simple idea, apart from me you can do nothing. Do you really believe you can live in that kind of dependence? So I want to look just at this passage very particularly together. And I I want you just to draw out a couple things for you to see in this um, that I find are really interesting in terms of the way Paul brings this out to us. So basically this is the this is what he's wanting to be sure we all get. You all have the spirit. In other words, God's very presence lives in you. That's part of what Jesus did through his death and resurrection, which by the way, that's the beauty of it. He didn't just stay as one. He puts his presence in all of us to change the world. Now he says there's two ways. Did you get it by the works of the law? And then he tells you what the works of the law are. They're the works of the flesh. These are the same thing. So what he's saying is, are you doing it on your own in the flesh? And make no mistake, We all have rules that we follow in one way or another that we think will get us what we want in our own strength. That's what Paul's saying. You're doing it in your own strength in the flesh or the way you actually receive the Spirit is very simply, and he says it right here, by believing what you heard. That's how you get the Spirit. So we would say it's the flesh or it's actually through faith. It's through dependence. I can do nothing apart from you. That right there is what Paul is getting on and, and I want to contextualize this for us because it's important we think about what do we battle with that keeps us from this. Now in Galatia, it was, the Judy, it was basically the Jews and the, these Gentiles, these people from Gaul, and they're intermixing and they have pressures to buy different things. But let me take you to a few other parts of the world, just for a little, a little bit, to understand what context did they have and what might they battle with when they're beginning to discover that Jesus actually died and rose. So let me take you to the Turkic-Arabic region, whoops, where, where uh, we actually have a lot of involvement. And I want to show you two areas we have involvement with as a church. And even before I get into them, in case you haven't been around us, but even for those of you who have, you know that you give significantly globally, and we actually have people on the field from here and people that we support that we're involved with because we believe God not only wants to change our area, he wants to change the world. And in case you don't know, this is something I want you to celebrate We are the number one giving church in our entire movement to our our global missions area in our own denomination. Like, you're number one. You should celebrate that. You're number one. Yeah. What that means is you have a heart for the world. And we love that. We love that we have inherited that from people who've gone before us as a work of the spirit, not of something we mandate or have happen. And we see God moving in our dependence. So let me take you back to the Turkic Arabic region. Now, if you're from here and the people they're trying to reach, their battle is very specifically with religiosity and with the Muslim tradition. And so what many of them believe is, here's how I get God's favor. If I go to the mosque, enough, and if I do my prayers enough, then God will look on me kindly. Oh, and by the way, if I'm going to travel or if I need blessing, I need to give money to the mosque. That way, God will be happy with me, and then I'll be able to move ahead. Or let me take it another level. There are other things that they'll consider doing. They see God as great and mighty, but he's distant. There's no way he'd be interested in me. And then there are even kinds of superstitions that happen. If I put enough verses of the Quran up in my home, and if I, they actually have a, a, a a tree that's a thorn tree that they put in there every one of these is to somehow appease God and maybe they'll feel better now can you imagine you go to reach people like this you have to continually push against everything and then in them that says I must do these things in order for God to be happy you get the picture they have rules and ways to live kind of and make no mistake we can do this in the church too can't we Hey, if you don't read your Bible enough, if you don't do enough of the things that you're supposed to do, you're going to be in trouble. We add to what we call the gospel. Now, let me take you to one other area. This is in Europe, and uh, this is the McFrederick family. Uh, Carinza here is actually our European director. She oversees all of our mission fields in Europe, uh, a job that Dave Horn, who is from our church, formerly held and now is working in another area in Global Partners, and then her husband, Jason, oversees the particular field in the Czech Republic, and this is their family. Now the Czech Republic is a much less religious area, and so what they struggle with is just that they wanna be good people, and at least not be a bad person, and they hope if they do those things, God will be happy with them. So while they begin to hear about who Jesus is, this other message of just be a good person, don't be too bad, continues to infiltrate, and they go back and forth to how they live. Are you getting a picture of this? Now, I want you to understand it because every place has their own context. Let's step back to where we live today, though. And I want you just to consider something that I believe really makes it hard for us in our day-to-day life to say, apart from you, I can do nothing. I need your spirit, and I'll follow you. And it's very simply this. You and I live in the land of opportunity. You and I live in a place that we're told, listen, we all have an equal opportunity and as long as you work hard, you can get what you want to get and achieve your goals and dreams. That's what we're told. It's not a bad thing that we want to have goals and dreams, but guess what? If you don't achieve them, whose fault is it? Guess what you haven't done enough of if you can't get there? You have not worked hard enough. Is anyone tired at all? Has anyone considered that's the backdrop of our culture is listen, you should be able to get what you want so if you don't get it, you're not doing enough. This one is up to you. And we kind of bifurcate our faith. Over here in my spiritual life, I need Jesus for apart from everything. But over here in the rest of my life, I better work harder and get more done and make sure I finally achieve what I'm supposed to. And make no mistake, I'm not talking about effort, I'm talking about earning, like I've got to do more in order to get where I need to get. That informs us. Now, in case you don't believe me, I want you to consider it this way. You and I live in the wealthiest country in the world. You and I live in the wealthiest time in history. You and I live with the most resources available to us, more than anyone else in all of time, probably combined. You do realize that. If I talk about anything or ask you any question, can you figure out the answer? Yes, because you have a phone that you can look up anything. I bet most of us go, I don't even need to know that anymore, I always have my phone. Do we not have everything we've needed for all of history? Let's agree, yes? Even the worst off of us. So why are we the most unhappy? Why is mental illness the worst it's ever been? And on top of that, why are we so overwhelmed? life all the time. Because guess what? You and I have been taught, listen, you should be able to have what you want. If you don't, you better just keep going harder. It's almost like we're standing on a treadmill that's not going anywhere and it just keeps getting sped up and sped up and sped up. Now make no mistake, there are probably a few of you here that are very successful and you've done very well and you're actually enjoying life saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Here's a difficulty for you. Your human effort's not enough. What you're resting on is the wrong thing. Let me use Paul as an example. Paul, this early leader, in Roman culture, he's a citizen. So he has all the things you would want. He's born into citizenship. He's also trained in the wonderful discourse of basically philosophy and argument. So he's a well-educated person. That's the Roman side. On the Jewish side, he's become a Pharisee of Pharisees. There are seven levels of Phariseeism. Every time I say seven levels, I feel like I'm playing... Never mind, I'm not gonna talk about it. My mind goes in the wrong place. I'm thinking of uh, Elf going through the candy forest, the different levels, sorry, that's just what happens. <laughs> so Paul has everything to go, and you know what he says when he comes to Christ? I consider everything I have nothing. It's basically like a big backed up toilet, nothing. I don't want any of it. See, that's the struggle even when life goes well as we rest in us. It's not from the work you do. It's from man being believing and being completely dependent. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. It's crazy, isn't it? So think about it in our context now. We're the church. We all understand, hey, I need Jesus for everything except all the things I do on my own. And you know what? I need Jesus to forgive my sin. But man, when I look at people, if they're not doing better, it's because they haven't worked hard enough. And I'm getting ahead because of all I'm doing. I'm going to keep working at it. Because guess what? If it is to be, it's up to me. Can you see how that conflates and messes us up with the gospel? Hear what Paul continues to say about it because of this. He's going to keep going to them. Have you experienced so much in vain as if it was really in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you, the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? Which is it? How does God move? Is it from what you do? Do you do enough? Or is it from what you believe? Is it about flesh or is it about faith? How are you living in all of this? Let me just, before I go on, Paul will go on and he's going to describe Abraham. And the reason he does this, he does this a lot through the letters. So we're going to come back to Abraham. In case you don't know who Abraham is, he's he's really considered the father of Israel, of the whole nation. Abraham is this guy who lived nomadically. He just lived with his family kind of in one area and has this whisper from God, this little prompting and God says, "Listen, I want you to give up everything, go to a land I'm going to show you, and I'm going to basically bless your whole life and change the world through you if you'll trust me." And Abraham goes, And then what Paul says is, hey, I want to remind you of Abraham. Guess what? Abraham basically trusted God, and he says it was credited to him as righteousness, meaning that Abraham took a step of faith by what he heard and believed, not by what he did. And then he says this, if you all do the same thing, if you live in a way that you ultimately trust God and become dependent on him, you are children of Abraham, meaning you also Live by faith. You live in a different way. He's calling them to a countercultural living in a way that they can't understand or do. And then he says this about Abraham all the nations of the earth are blessed through him. That's what God promises, in case you don't know. He says, Listen, everybody's going to be blessed through you. And I love it. Paul defines it. He says, You know what that was? That was a picture of what would happen through Jesus, that Jesus coming. Dying and rising, giving his followers the spirit is the way he's gonna bless the whole world through the promise to Abraham. He says, guess what, you're all part of this. And then he reminds them, when you do it on your own, you'll never measure up. He says, if you don't get all of the law, if you miss any of it, you're under a curse. Meaning no one can accomplish all they want to on their own. Now, I wanna just say that again. It doesn't mean you just follow the Jewish law. You may have your own laws. But guess What? you will never perfectly achieve them. And Paul's saying, if you don't achieve all of them, you don't achieve any of them. In other words, when you lose, you lose. And the Bible calls that being cursed. And then Paul goes on to talk about what Jesus does for us. Hey, Christ redeemed us from the curse, the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the whole point of why he talked about his death. Jesus died to take on the curse of what you and I can never accomplish in the flesh. Get on the treadmill, do all you think you're gonna do. You'll never get there. We rest in what Jesus did. And then he says, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. It's an image of the very way Jesus will die. Which by the way, side note, for any of you who are investigating Christianity, One of the fun things is to look at all of these prophecies, all of these things that were said about when the Messiah would come from lots of different writers and lots of different settings over lots of centuries and they all come out in Jesus. It's crazy to read. But just as someone who'd be interested on statistics and research, that would be its own study. And it says this, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I asked you at the beginning, where does the Spirit live? Where does the Spirit live? In us. Have you been given a better promise in your whole life? And in case you don't know, the answer is no. You are sitting on an oil field you had no idea you had available to you. And here's the difficulty. You and I tend to take certain things and say, well, that's up to me, but yeah, I'll, I'll include God in this one. And it's even foreign to us sometimes to believe the Spirit would wanna actually lead us and teach us. That's what Jesus promises. And maybe you say this, you know, it's, that's for certain people and special people. It's not. One of the things I so love about the early church is those God used most were never of nobility or pedigree or prestige or power. And it wasn't because he didn't want to help them. It was because the people that were more lowly were more willing to be dependent. And God moved through them. See, your biggest barrier sometimes can be your success or your need for success. I got to do it on my own. And if there's nothing more you get from me than this, the spirit of God not only resides in people who follow him. And by the way, if you don't man, that's a whole nother invitation just to receive who Jesus is and ask the Spirit to live in you. There's no mystical, magical thing other than responding. But for the rest of you who follow Jesus, I just wonder, are you sitting on a house just struggling to make ends meet? Are you living in a place where the oil field of his presence is right there? And I will say this, I don't know of a better way to learn to discern the very whispers and presence of God than the Scripture's. And one of the heartbreaks I have in my life is that so many of us say we're just too busy. And yet we're not too busy to listen to eight podcasts, be online five hours a day, do all sorts of other things in our activity, because we just haven't fully believed God wants to speak to us and lead us. And he does. I love how Paul said it, man, what you had at the beginning, don't lose sight of. Don't start to put it on yourself. It's a simple question, who has your attention? I I don't know who has your attention, but it's a great question for you to ask. He says, who has bewitched you? But what is is driving your life? It it could be something as simple as you grew up in a context where the messaging you got from your parents was you're not enough and you've kind of carried that your whole life. You know, I'm just somewhere I'm gonna measure up. And you get on that treadmill and you're never gonna stop. And the joy is, man, the very presence of God, his spirit, wants to let you know the father's love. Do you know that as a son or daughter, God just cherishes you? I mean, he cherishes you and not for what you do. One of, one of the other passages I love is Jesus' baptism. The father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. Do you know how much Jesus had accomplished by then? Nothing. Because the father said, I love my boy. And the Father says to you, I love my boy, I love my girl. And some of us, we're being bewitched by a voice that's saying you're not enough. Now for others of you, it could be other voices. Man, maybe you are just too entrenched in your podcasts and your constant need to grow and your constant need to know what's going on. Maybe you're reading too many articles. Something grabs our attention. And you, in case you don't know, there are algorithms that know how to basically continue to make you get more polarized in what you think. And do you realize the more you do things, get fixated on the news, get fixated on different leaders, get fixated on what's being sent to you in articles, the more it grabs your attention and the gospel becomes something else or moves you to something else. I don't know who has your attention, but it's an important question to ask. And here are two that go with it. What is on you alone? In other words, what do you think I have to do this alone? that you don't think you need God for. And that goes two ways. One is you could say, I, I just feel like I've got to measure up. I, I've had friends who, they've had some business struggles and failings and they suddenly feel like, until I get it back to where it needs to be, then I'll, then I'll kind of be along with God, but i got to fix this first. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? The God who came to save you from the things you could never fix, you got to fix first and then he'll reach you. I mean, you do realize that's crazy thinking, Right? We think we gotta get better first. And I was, no, no, don't be alone in this. Or there's the other end where you're so confident in your own competence, you don't think you need God. That's a harder one for me. All I can say to you is, man, you, you need a little dose of humility. You are not as good as you think you are. And as good as things are, that's not the blessing. The blessing of the oil field is who God is in you. Dependent on him for everything. And that leads me to the last part of this. What do you seek the Spirit for? I know this is confusing for people that probably have not pursued God or even thought I could ask him. And I like to think about it this way I make God my first 911 on anything now. The first person I ask is, Holy Spirit, help me even with things I know, but especially things I don't. I like to call it my 911 constant calling. I would be annoying to a 911 person here because I'm calling it a lot. But it's so great to go, God, I need you. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, I need you. What might it be for you today? What might it be for you today that you go, I'm gonna actually ask the Spirit to help me. Maybe it's a work situation. You're living in your own wisdom and ingenuity and you're going, God, I just need your help. I don't know what to do. And it could be that he guides you in character, not even in outcome. Do what's ethical. Lead in a way that honors me. Lead looking out for others. I don't know what it'll be. Maybe it's a situation in your relationships close to you. Maybe it's a situation raising a family. Oh God, Holy Spirit, I need your help to know how to love my kids because right now I don't want to love them. I want to twist them. God, help me to love the person. Help me to love my ex in this. Help me to love in my loneliness. I don't know what it is, but what would it be like for you and me to go, I actually believe what Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, we're to live dependent lives on an oil field of the presence of who the Spirit is in us. Let me pray for us with this in mind. God, I ask for every person who follows you that's among us that any lies they would believe that they can't be close to you or be led by you would just, they'd start to fall away and they would begin to believe more deeply that you love them and want to be with them. I pray for those who've been kind of captured by this constant need to improve wherever that is in their life, you'd begin to show your father's love over them and let them be loved as son or daughter. Oh, God, and I pray we're either we're self-sufficient or just weary from running on the treadmill. We'd hear your whisper say, get off. Stop trying to earn and depend on me. So Holy Spirit, would you awaken us to you? Not just in this moment, but in this week, in this day, in the days and weeks ahead, would you lead us to follow you together? And finally, Lord, I pray for those that might be searching today. God, I'm asking that it won't just be a momentary thing where they go, I'll follow, and then it kind of falls back, but they would move towards you and understand, even help them understand, God, how your death leads to their forgiveness and how your resurrection leads to their new life by your spirit. So I pray you'll be leading many to that as well. I pray this in your name, amen. Let me invite you to stand here. I want to just give you a blessing before you go. We'll continue down this road, and next week we really get to look at the unique family and the way it's made And later in Galatians 3. It's a beautiful passage that's got great things for us to think about and walk in. Let me have you place your hands out, and let me give you this blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his Spirit. Oh, may you hear his leading be led by him day and night, and may you increasingly walk in dependence on him, that he would lead you to a new life in him for his glory and your joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.